Hey, Babs, and welcome to Bravo Therapy, where healing meets housewives and reality TV gets real. Join me, your host, Lo, each week as we explore how our favorite shows are more than just guilty pleasures. They're a window into our own journeys of self-discovery and growth. I may not be a doctor, but with my honorary PhD in Bravo TV, I'm here to connect the dots between the messiness on screen and our own beautifully chaotic lives. So take a deep breath and and let's get into it. Your Bravo therapy session begins now. Therapy workshop. I'm telling you, seek it. Hey, Babs, and welcome back to Bravo Therapy. It's me, your host, Lo, and we're doing a solo episode. Y'all, I don't think I've done a solo episode since the first episode, which is wild. So here, solo dolo, it's actually what's needed right now on this beautiful Friday. And when I say beautiful, fuck this Friday, fuck this whole week. <laughs> really it's been a week and it's only beautiful because it's Friday it's actually raining out right now I want to be in my pjs and in bed and that's all I want to do this entire fucking weekend um but yeah solo feels good right now because what doesn't feel good is human interaction I don't know let's let's kind of do a little quick mental health check-in in a second, but, and we'll get into it, but I don't know how y'all feel about this, but like, I definitely know when I'm getting to the point of burnout from life, from work, when truly everything another human does annoys and disgusts me. <laughs> and it's not the place I really want to be because like, I have to interact with humans throughout my day for work. Um, I mean, I work from home, so, like, I can kind of hide my facial expressions as long as I'm not having my camera on on Zoom um, because I've been told by several, a colleague, that after a Zoom meeting, they were cracking up at my facial expressions. And I always think that I hide them really well. I was in a meeting, like, a few weeks ago, and – I was sitting there in the office and I'm like, oh shit, like I'm in an in-person meeting, like control your face, Laura, control your face. I thought I was controlling my face. Apparently I wasn't because some shit was being said that I just had feelings about. And after the meeting, I had a colleague (laughs) say to me, oh my gosh, I could not stop like I I had to try to stop myself from laughing when I was looking at your facial expressions. And I was like, what do you mean? I thought I controlled them, but I didn't, y'all. I didn't. So anyways, I'm definitely in that zone of like anything that anyone asks me for is like the biggest inconvenience ever. I'm just like, oh, you send me an email? Fuck you. Oh, you want to send me a Slack and start it off like, hey, Laura, hope you're having a great day. I was until you slacked me. You know, someone wants to come to my door and knock on it. Truly death to you at my door, at my doorstep. I'm just getting in my anti-social mode right now. And I know what that means. 
it's really no one's fault but my own. It just means that I've been go, 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 and I need to go slow, slow, slow. (laughs) And it makes sense. I mean, truly from, and this is how it goes pretty much every year, but truly from Halloween on up until the end of my son's, after my son's birthday, which is, was just last week. I'll tell you a little bit more about that trip in a second. But I'm going nonstop. It's Halloween. It's decorating. It's getting things done. It's getting ready for like the holidays to come. It's um, Thanksgiving comes, planning for Thanksgiving. We had a lot of like um, stuff in my family happen around that time uh, that was really just kind of intense to deal with. So I was in charge of all of Thanksgiving. I had a Menti B during Thanksgiving, y'all. It was just me, my son, and my dad. And I flipped the fuck out on Thanksgiving. <laughs> um, then Christmas. My dad's birthday is around Christmas. It's it's break for my son. It's then it's New Year's. Then it's – and we're like figuring out travel. And it's so much shit. And then it's my birthday right after. And then it's my dog's birthday. And then it's my son's birthday. It's just like so much shit. And that – period has just kind of come to a close. And I think that my whole body is just like, girl, we need to go into hibernation mode. So anyways, the light side of things is that it is Friday. I'm recording this on the same Friday that I'm going to release it on. And you might be thinking, Lo, I thought that these episodes release on Thursdays. And by the way, where the fuck was the episode last week? Because you didn't say anything about it. Yeah, y'all. Well, (laughs) here's the thing. I thought that Thursday would be a really good day to record or like not record, but to release episodes because it's later in the week. And at the time that I released this podcast, it was great because when I released this podcast, it was at the beginning of the year when I was still on a three week break from work. And so things were just like honky dory, right? And seemingly easy. And I had some time. And as I've come back into like my real life and my work schedule, which is so insane, um, I've realized that it just doesn't work to have these episodes on a Thursday. It really doesn't even work to have them on a Friday because after work during the weekdays, I'm so down to like edit some social media stuff. I'd love to do stuff like that, but recording is just like not where my head's at and getting an episode out. And y'all, unless you've like done a podcast, like you don't realize all the things that go into it. And if you don't have a production company behind you and it's all you, it's a lot of work. So all that to be said is that instead of spiraling, here's the light point, okay? Instead of spiraling like past low would have, Instead of feeling like I failed myself and others, I stepped back and was like, okay, if this is not working, then how do I solve that? And my solution is I'm going to try a different release schedule for these episodes. So starting this upcoming week, um, and I've already recorded the episode, it's actually our real um, Bravo our real Pisces of Bravo episode with Hetty Hall. Um, 
which is it's going to be a good one, y'all. Like I recorded it yesterday with her and it was just so amazing. But I'll be releasing episodes now on Tuesdays. And guess what? We're going to experiment with that and see how that works and see if that fits in my schedule. Um, But that's where we're going to go from now. And I'm just – honestly, I just want to say I'm fucking proud of myself because I could have let this be been a deterrent for me and just been like, see, I can't do this. This is so overwhelming and shut down. That is truly how even about like a year, year and a half ago I was operating. But – I just feel like coming out of this past like 15 year period, right? Um, as a Capricorn <laughs> and a sign that is really, I think a cardinal sign that's just like coming out of that space. I just feel a lot more settled um, and a lot less like chaotic in the sense of I need to react. I'm just like, okay, so like, how are we going to solve this then? And so this is, this is my solution. So we're going to start doing that as of next Tuesday. I'm hoping that we'll we'll create more of a regular cadence. I'm so sorry there wasn't a, an episode last week, but it was my son's birthday and that is way more important than anything in this world. So we were out of town. We were in New York. I'll talk about that in a hot second. Um, but yeah, So we're kind of, we're going to get back on schedule, y'all. Like we're going to reset. And that's, I think, you know, where, where we're at with the mental health check-in today. I just want everyone to just like take a second. I need this for me too, because it's a Friday. I'm having a horrible fucking headache right now. And I know that it's because I've just been feeling so overwhelmed and so overworked and feeling like I need to try to catch up, especially after coming out of like a week-long break, um, which I really thought was a vacation, but it truly wasn't. (laughs) It was good, but it was just go, go, go. But I just – the theme of today's mental health check-in for y'all is – we can reset. We can always reset. And what better day than a Friday to think about that, to just fully breathe into that and relax into that. For me, since it's Friday when we're recording this, you could do this at any day. Friday's the end of the week. I don't have to work over the weekend. I've told myself I I could, and then I could catch up with shit, but I was like, no, I'm going to reset and refuel this weekend. And I think pressing the reset button is just so, it's so refreshing and refueling and it takes that like sense of overwhelm and fear out of, out of things for us. Like I know for me for this week, I feel like things were just piling on top of one another. It feels like the days that I had had off to go on this trip with my son, on a trip, you don't want to worry about any of the shit back at home. You don't want to worry about like what is on your to-do list at work, right? Like you shouldn't have to. But the reality is, is when we come back, we have 10 million emails waiting for us. We Those tasks that we weren't worried about when we were on the trip are sitting there waiting for us. And then the real-time shit is happening that always happens in our day-to-day, right? And so it can feel so overwhelming. And y'all, that's what I was feeling this week. 
And it can feel so, so overwhelming. And I think that setting the reset button can just put a pause and say like, okay, hold on. We're not going to get caught up and buried under all of this bullshit. We're going to step away from all of it, look at it from a larger purview, and then have that perspective to be able to then slowly chip away at it and figure out how we need to approach it. A lot of times that means, okay, well, I'm going to have to set boundaries then within this next week or I'm going to have to say no a lot more. I'm going to have to take 10, 15-minute breaks in between doing things because I know that there's so much and it just feels overwhelming. So for me, that this reset over the weekend means getting more sleep, doing not shit, um, resting, relaxing, rejuvenating. And then on Sunday, I'll step back in a little bit. I'll dip my toe in and just say like, how do I want to approach this new week ahead? without feeling overwhelmed. And I just want to invite everyone to know that you can press that reset button whenever the fuck you want. We can press that button whenever the fuck we want. Are you overwhelmed in the middle of a day because there's just so much piling up and it just feels like too much? You are allowed to step away and say, I'm going to reset. Is life just feeling like totally insane and there's a lot going on in personal life and you're feeling emotionally overwhelmed? You are allowed to sit down, relax, and reset. And I think that reset button is just whatever that looks like for you is just so important. Otherwise, we drown in all of the chaos around us. And you know, we want to be swimming. We want to be floating. We don't want to be drowning. We want to be surfboard, surfing. Like we're not drowning. We're not drowning. Okay. Let's get that buoy. Let's reset and then get back out there. So that's what I'm inviting for the reset this fine Friday um, or whatever day that you are (laughs) listening to this on. For my mental health check, like personally, this this week, it's a lot of it is based around kind of what's been happening the last couple weeks for me. And one of the biggest events that has happened, um, as I mentioned a moment ago, is that my son turned 16. And I know that y'all like this feels like an intimate space when I have these solo episodes with you guys. Um, but I know I've mentioned my son, Caleb, several times on the pod, but I don't think I've like really kind of gone deep into it. And we don't really need to go deep into it today. We could definitely have another episode um, where we do that. But there's something so special about my son's birthday every year, but about the 16th birthday. And every year on his birthday, I just reflect on our time together and our journey together and It's been really special. It's been – it hasn't been easy. I'll tell you that. It hasn't been easy. I I kind of mentioned this in the first episode, but I have raised my son from day one by myself. Um, I went through my pregnancy by myself. Um, His dad and I, we were – 
I don't know if I'd call us high school sweethearts. I mean, neither of us was a fucking sweetheart. Um, but we were together in high school. It was a bit of a tumultuous relationship. I was a wild child. He was like, he came in halfway through high school and was like such a broken soul that was like trying to repair himself. And I loved a good project at the time, which I mean, I still do, but I just try to shy away from them. Um, And I did love him. I totally loved him for what love meant to me at that time in my life as a teenager. And we were together for about three years. And when I turned – well, when I was 20, I found out I was pregnant. And he was definitely not in the place to – be even able to take care of himself. I was at a place where, how do I say this? I was wiling out. I was out of high school at this point, obviously. I didn't really have direction in my life. I had a good job at the time. I was living on my own. I was finally feeling independent, but I had no idea who I was. I was so lost. I had so much trauma that like I was not dealing with. And At that point in my life, I was partying to a point where I knew that probably at my lifespan was probably just going to be to like about 25. That was, it's so interesting. Like that was the age that kept coming up for me was 25. And I was like, I had at that point just kind of been like, okay with the fact that like that would be my destiny. Like I'm just going to party it up until – I'm not here anymore. And then I found out I was pregnant and it changed everything for me in the moment. I mean, for me, for everyone, it's different. But for me, the moment I found out I was pregnant, which was a huge shock to me, um, was the moment, truly the moment everything changed for me. I always say, I always say, and I I don't think I've ever told my son this, um, But he saved my life. He really saved my life. I knew at that moment when I found out I was pregnant that I was being given a different path. And it was my choice whether I was going to take that path or not. And I somehow knew in my body, in my intuition. I mean, I wasn't really connecting too much with my intuition at the time because I was avoiding so much. But I knew in my body, I knew from my intuition what this was. And it was a second chance at life. And I didn't know much past that. Um, And that was over 16 years ago. And the way my life has changed because of my son. Um, (laughs) Oh, gosh, not me getting emotional. Um, he is my guiding light and my star and everything in my life, y'all. <laughs> when the moment I can still remember, it's so funny because you hear like from parents or grandparents or on in movies where like a parent's like, it feels like the person turning 30 and they're, they're like saying to their kid who's turning 30, like, it feels like just yesterday that I remember holding you and you were born. But it's so true, y'all. Like, it is so true. I feel like especially close to his birthday, I will just 
fully relive in such a visceral way the moment he was born. And I didn't have, I was blessed enough to not have a very difficult labor. I was induced. I was chilling. I'd had my epidural, couldn't feel shit. I was like, come on out. Like can't feel anything. But I remember the moment, 1020, February 21st, 2008, that he popped right out of that canal. (laughs) I remember, all I could remember is chaos going on around me. Like, you know, there's doctors, the doctor is talking, the nurses. Like, I had my aunt on one side um, and another nurse on the other and one of my best friends at the time, she had been on one of my sides, but I think she saw the baby crowning and freaked out. So I looked over. She's over there looking ghost white, like looking like she's going to pass out. Don't blame her because I don't know what that looks like and I don't want to know. Um, I just remember all these things going on, noises, everything. The baby crying, Caleb crying. And I remember just hearing him cry and they put him right on my chest And everything, like, the sound was muted. Like, everything muted in that one moment. And I just looked down at this little baby, like this little human. It just didn't even feel real to me. And I just looked at him and I was like, hey, dude, it's just you and I on this journey. And... That's real. I mean, his dad has never been in the picture, um, never once. I mean, we could talk about this in later episodes. He's definitely tried to reach out to me and not at one point has it ever been to talk about his kid. But um, it's just been me and Caleb since day one on this journey, truly. So to see him turning 16, this like such this in our society, like such a major kind of coming of age. Um, it just helped me reflect on like the years that we've gone through, the difficulty we've gone through. I mean, being a single parent at 21 is <laughs> not easy. Um, but I think all that being said, what it's made me realize as looking back at that journey is that I did it alone as a parent. But when they say it takes a village to raise a child, I cannot tell you how real that statement is. Um, And I think that like this, my son's birthday this past week really helped me reflect on the village that's helped me raise my son. And it's given me this sense of gratitude, this sense of gratitude for community, this sense of pride in myself for like keeping a human alive for 16 years. I mean, it's not, it's funny, but not like, it's like, what? (laughs) Like I was barely keeping myself alive. Um... But truly, y'all, like, I can't even tell you, and some of these people aren't even in my life anymore because it was at a time where, like, people are there for a moment or a reason or a season and not forever. But when I tell you, there have been so many people who've contributed to 
where Caleb and I are today and have been such beautiful parts of our lives. Not just my parents. Um, you know, I know I talk about my mommy issues, but my mom was there to help me look after Caleb when I was going back to work. And my dad was there like 24-7. He is still there 24-7. My grandma like flew out the day that I was, you know, I after I had given birth and I was the day I was going back home. So I've had like lots of family, but also like the community around me. I remember like working different. I worked at a restaurant like where I was bar. I had bartended for a really long time, and there was a restaurant where I'll just be honest. Like the, the way that we part ways was not positive, but I still have so much love for them because there were days where I had to work, and Caleb was off of school. And they let him come and sit in the office and do work and color. Um, He would sit at like a restaurant table and like so many of the regulars knew him and would come and say hi. And when it was his birthday, they'd come and bring him gifts and they'd celebrate him. And I just had so many people like that throughout my life. Like some of my friends were like my friend Emily, my friend Shauna, like they are – aunties to my son because they've just been here through things he's he's needed through times where I didn't know how to navigate things with him um just so many people along the way that gave me help that like watched helped to watch Caleb that helped me navigate um I'm just very grateful and so I think really today's mental health check-in is really about like having gratitude for community, having gratitude for moments in our lives that we didn't even realize were so important at the time. And even if there's people in your life that are not there anymore because we know that like people move in and out of our lives for whatever reason, there's always some sort of gratitude within that as well. So that's just like really the emo kind of space that I've been in since celebrating Caleb's 16th birthday because for how much I'm so hard on him and how hard it is to raise a teenager, I'm just so proud of the young man that he's become and I am just so grateful for the village that has helped me along the way and helped us along the way because – I don't know where we'd be <laughs> without them. And I know that not everyone has that. And um, so I'm just feeling for as much as I'm like telling y'all like this week sucks, fuck this. I am grateful. I'm really grateful. And I'm feeling a really strong sense of gratitude um, and community. And yeah, I I just kind of wanted to share that, um, you know, I've come a long way as a parent. (laughs) I was not always a good parent. I promise you that. In the beginning, I knew I did not know what the fuck I was doing. I still don't know what the fuck I'm doing, but I'm trying my best, and that's all we can do in this life. Um, But we had a really great time last week, y'all. We went to New York for his birthday. We, We headed out on the Wednesday of his birthday, and... It was just such a special time exploring the city with him. I mean, it was so beautiful. Um, he loves thrift shopping, so we 
went thrift shopping. I mean, we walked probably the first full day we were there, which was Thursday. That was like the full day, the first full day that we had there. We counted or we like looked at our maps at the end of the day and we had probably walked about 13 miles throughout the city. So by I would say by the end of this trip, we probably had like 30 miles under our belt of walking. Um, and we were there till Sunday. So it was such a beautiful trip. I was so grateful for it. But I think what really is like tying into my burnout this week is that, of course, you took I took vacation time off of work. But was it a vacation? No, because my son will tell you, and he probably hates this about me, but like I want to get the most out of like our time there, right? Especially in New York, there's so much to do. And I don't want to be sitting in a hotel during vacation or during our trip. So truly every part of our day was scheduled every single day. Even when we got there, we had time to relax for like an hour. And then we went out and we looked around and we had his birthday dinner and we went to the top of the rock. And then the next day we were walking around and we started early. And I mean, it was go, go, go. So it wasn't a vacation. So truly, I've been doing so much. We got back at midnight on Monday, this past Monday, and then I had work. I jumped right back into work. I let him take a sick day, but I jumped right back into work and had all that shit piled up on me. So in retrospect, I need to take a day off and maybe need to plan one earlier day that we get on the trip where we just don't do shit. So I'm learning, but it was such a fun trip, y'all. And I do have to tell you, relating it back to Bravo, because all roads lead to Bravo, I met Ariana. And it was the most amazing moment of my life. And the most, when I look back at it, embarrassing. (laughs) My son was totally embarrassed. So just for context, what ended up happening is that we knew that we were going to go see a Broadway show one of the nights. And I kind of kept like hinting that I wanted to see Chicago, but it's my son's birthday trip, right? So I also put on a list shows that I thought he would want to see. Hamilton, Wicked, um, Harry Potter. I think there were a couple different ones on there. But I did put Chicago on there. And I was like, Ariana's in it, Ariana. And my son doesn't – like he thinks that my Bravo obsession is – absolutely ridiculous and stupid and he doesn't get it um so but he also appeases me so much so of course when it came down for to him for him to choose he was like I'll do Hamilton Harry Potter or Wicked and I was like well what about Chicago he's like I don't want I don't care like I don't want to see that so I I gave in it was fine we went and saw Wicked but All the other shows, including Chicago, that night, this was on Friday night, um, they all started at 7. Wicked was the only one that started, I think that was on our list, that started at 8. So it started at 8 o'clock. So if you've been to New York, when you walk through through Times Square, a lot of times you're walking past all like the streets that have – the theaters where each Broadway production is. So we go, we see Wicked. Y'all, I had never seen Wicked before. I didn't even really know the premise of Wicked. I knew it had to do with like the 
Wicked Witch or whatever. I had I didn't really know. I knew like some of the songs, but I had, didn't have the context. When I tell you by intermission, I was fucking crying. Caleb looked over and he was like, that was so good. And I'm like, I know. He's like, are you crying? Yes, I was crying. When she sings Defying Gravity and she's like up and flying and I was like, yes, she's saving like the, the I mean, the whole message behind the show was just like so beautiful. Anyways, highly recommend. I know that I'm like years and years and like probably a decade behind the times, but like, although I think it like premiered in what, 2008 or something. It was beautiful, beautiful. But anyways, so we leave. By the time we're done, it's about 1030, right? So all these other shows that were on at seven were probably done. They're usually about two and a half hours. Um, so like with intermission. So the other shows probably ended around 9, 9.30, right? So now we're getting out 10.30. I'm like, okay, so we're walking, we're walking. We're talking about how much we love the show. I loved that he loved it too. I love sharing like a love for the arts with my son. I think it's just such a beautiful thing that we can share together. And anyways, we stop at one of like the crosswalks. And I look over to the right and it's, you know, another theater. And I notice it's the theater for Chicago. And then I see people crowded around. And then I see this big security guard out there, like lifting his hands up, clearly trying to get them to make noise. And I was like, wait, I've seen this before. I've seen this on Instagram when Ariana comes out and everyone's there cheering for her and she signs autograph and like autographs the playbill. And, and when I realized that, and I saw this man asking people to give it up and they were screaming. When I tell you, I didn't think twice about screaming, it's Ariana, and just started running. I jumped up. Like I hopped up like Tigger and just ran. I left my son behind. I was like, bye, bye, boy. I don't know you. I just left. I ran and I fangirled out. You guys, I've been around celebrities before. I used to do sports reporting. I used to be around Steph Curry and Clay Thompson and Steve Kerr and like LeBron when we go on like other, you know, to road games. Like, it's not like I've never seen a celebrity before. And I always act cool. I always am just like, they're people. Don't ask me why. <laughs> like, I freaked the fuck out in this moment. And I ran and I. There she was. There's Ariana. And I was like, where's Ariana? This woman was like, she's over there. Here, go. And so I see Caleb coming. He's like, what the fuck is going on? I duck in between. Everyone's getting their playbill signed. I don't have, I mean, my playbill is a wicked playbill. I didn't go see Chicago. I really wanted to. I tried. But there was Ariana in her cute white puffy jacket looking so stunning, even more stunning in person. And I get to the front and I was like, oh my God, Ariana, Ariana, can I please take a picture with you? Y'all, she looked me straight dead in the eye and she's like, oh my God, yes, yes. And she's smiling and she grabs my arm and is so kind, looking me straight in the eye, giving me like full on attention. There's so many other people around and like is not even 
at least not outwardly judging me for being such a bumbling fucking mess and takes a picture with me. And when I tell you, I was like crying and shaking and it was so embarrassing. But Ariana, you are a queen and thank you for being so kind. And Caleb was so kind to take our photos. I look horrific in it. I'll post I'll post it up, but I look horrific in it. I look like I've been crying like a bumbling mess. And she looks like the queen she is and so beautiful. And I my son was laughing because the whole night I was just like, "Oh my god. Oh my god, I can't believe I met Ariana. My life is like so great. Oh my gosh." so dorky. But that was all roads lead to Bravo. And there we were. We also walked around the West Village a lot. And I was hoping that I'd run into Andy. Um, But I saw a lot of the places that he mentions in his book that he goes and eats. So it was just a really fun time. And I could use like another vacation. That's what this weekend will be. But that's my mental health check for the weekend, y'all. Let's get down to the Bravo breakdown because I think that what's compounding on everything is that, like, not only is my life overwhelming with work and everything, but how fucking overwhelming is Bravo right now? What the hell is happening? Okay. We've got all the lawsuits going on. We've got, like, the breakups, like, everything going on. But I will say what's on my mind right now, because I just watched it last night, is Summer House. Summer House and Watch What Happens Live from last night. So let's go into Summer House real quick because we all knew the whole Lindsay and Carl thing was going to come up in Summer House. I don't think I knew how quickly like some of the shit was going to transpire and we were going to start to see cracks in the armor of this relationship. But holy shit, last night's episode was wild. I don't even know what to think about it anymore because I have I okay, I see it from two sides. So last night's episode, if you've watched it, um was the first time that Carl it's the second episode. I think it's the second episode, right? We're in the second episode, right? Where am I? I don't even know. So Carl and Lindsay officially come into the house this week. They weren't there last week cuz they were going to the White House, I think. Um, so they come into the house this week and Lindsay's already feeling very apprehensive. You can feel that energy from Lindsay right when she comes into the house that she's feeling scared and apprehensive and like a little worried. I'd feel the same way after like what had gone on with her and all the girls in the house from the season before. So it seems like things are good. Like she's friends with Gabby, right? Like it seems like they'd, she'd gotten back on better terms with Danielle, but she's walking on eggshells a bit. And I think that that definitely added to kind of her feeling of like being on edge and just feeling like, do I have to – and feeling defensive, honestly. I I definitely can relate to that feeling of coming into a space in a defensive mindset and then that like just totally takes over my mind and like the way that I react to things and I react instead of respond. So I want to like give her a bit of that coming into the house. Um, so she's definitely feeling that. And Carl is being really amazing at appeasing that, I think, and just kind of like understanding her and just being there for her. I will say, and I don't know if this is only because I know the context now that like they're broken up. 
it does feel there was a moment last night before they go into the house where it's like filming them just in their everyday lives, which I love. I think that we're going to get more of that in Summer House this year, of them in New York, of them like in their everyday lives before they come into the Summer House each weekend. And I love that. I really, really have been wanting that and I'm so excited about that. But there's a scene where Carl's been playing basketball. Like it's giving white man can't jump. <laughs> like, so he's been playing basketball. Lindsay comes and brings some water. They're sitting at the basketball courts. And they're having this whole discussion about like wedding planning. And I don't know y'all, but like to me, it felt like Carl was already kind of checked out. And it just seemed in his eyes, he was like distant. There was something about it that just was feeling weird. And I don't know. I don't know if I'm just looking into it, but I feel like I'm really good with intuition and I feel like I'm right. By the way, I'm having the worst. I think I'm getting a sinus infection, y'all, as we speak. And I hate it. But anyways, um, so once they get into the house, I think they're kind of coming already with that. Like I say these things because I think it totally, it's telling. Because to me, looking back on these things, I'm like, ooh, was this telling a deeper story? So when they get into the house, you know, everything's going fine. They go out that night to go party. Obviously, Carl's sober. So like they go out that night to go party. Lindsay gets in the Uber to go out to the club with the boys. And we're hearing this from both sides. We're hearing, we don't have any footage of what happened in that car. It's Lindsay's word against Carl's word. And it's really Carl and the other guys. And a lot of the other guys in the car are backing up what Carl says. So apparently Lindsay and Carl get in a fight because Lindsay's like, I'm afraid that because I'm in this car with you guys, like the women are going to like, all the girls are going to like, have some shit to say to me about me with this. Like I'm just going with the guys and I'm not going with them. And she's overthinking things. So this just goes back to like her overthinking, her just being like in her head from the moment she got in the house. So she's spiraling right now is what I'm getting out. She's spiraling. And her and Carl get in an argument or she gets mad at Carl is, is kind of what seems to be happening because he's just like, she feels like he dismisses her feelings. He says that like, no, babe, 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 because you know how they love to call each other babe. Um, I think it's going to be fine. I don't – I think you're overreacting. Like he's – it sounds like he's trying to appease her, but she needed something else from him at that moment, which maybe she just didn't tell him. And she doesn't feel like her feelings are validated, so she gets mad at him. And this is where it begins, where she – spirals apparently leaves the club as soon as they get there with Gabby tells Gabby they she wants to leave and then you see her coming back to the house with Gabby that's the next time we actually see them being filmed and she starts talking about how something's up with Carl he was being so mean to her he was being dismissive of her and then she says it it reminds me of Carl when he's on cocaine she just keeps doubling down. She's like, that was cocaine, Carl. That was cocaine, Carl. She is truly saying right now about her fiance on national television. She knows she's on national television. She's questioning his sobriety and accusing him of breaking his sobriety. 
it's so uncomfortable because you can see Gabby's like, I don't know. They end up calling him that night. Like Gabby calls him to see if he's on his way back with like the rest of the group. Y'all, he sounded sober, sober on the phone and rational. He's sending Lindsay all these very rational like text messages that we're seeing that's like, hey, you know, we can have this discussion. Like I'm happy to have this discussion tomorrow again tomorrow, you know seemingly like you know when whenever when we're good and she's like what are you on like what are you sober he's like I'm sober right now and she's like spiraling she just keeps accusing him of not being sober fast forward to the next morning he has slept in they've slept in different beds she comes into the room as he's getting up and like getting ready to go on a run so by the way I will say like her demeanor is like she's she's hungover. She's getting back in the bed. She's about to go back to sleep because we all know that feeling. And he's like up and at him. I, I forget what time it said it was, but it feels like it was early. He's up and at him ready to go like work out and run. So I would say like it doesn't seem like that's something like someone who was on something or drunk from the night before would be doing. Um, but Lindsay's doubling down. She's being really technical about wording. She's like, you said I'm sober right now. And he's like, yeah, cause you weren't. And I mean, she just is pushing him to say that he wasn't sober. Okay. It's so uncomfortable. I'm so interested, interested to see how this like plays out in the next, for the rest of the season. But what's worrisome on one side, I am no, I don't want to say team call. I think it's highly inappropriate what Lindsay did on national television to question Kyle's sobriety or Kyle, uh, Carl's sobriety because that's really detrimental and then that can be really hard. I've never, I will say, I've never dated someone who was sober or going through like a sober journey. So – I'm just giving this as something that like I see as a viewer, but it's not an experience I've had. I am not a sober person. I don't know what that's like. What I can say in seeing other people's sobriety journeys and hearing about them is that I don't think that this kind of behavior from Lindsay is very helpful. And it's not something that you want to be an ongoing behavior with someone who is trying to maintain their sobriety. That being said, back to what I was saying before, I don't know what's been, we don't know what's been going on prior to this. As I said, it seemed like Carl's eyes, like he seemed a little like distant from Lindsay. And this is not saying he wasn't sober. This just feels like an emotional distance. Even before they got into the house, he just like didn't really seem much into the wedding planning. He was like, yeah, okay, cool. It seemed like Lindsay was like way more invested. And I don't know, like, was there a point before they got into the house that Lindsay was feeling this and was being, was having these intuitions or like there was things that were going on between them and she was just trying to make it all seem okay. But really internally she knew it wasn't okay. And that's why she spiraled out of control, especially after she was drinking. I say this because I have been there. I have been Lindsay pushing and pushing and saying inappropriate things while I'm drunk because 
everything that was all the emotions that I was burying deep down and like didn't want to show and all my insecurities and all my questioning that I didn't say when I was sober would come out when I was drunk, especially in a relationship. And that's really what I was seeing from Lindsay. So not saying that this was okay the way she went about it, but I'm also saying that like there's something deeper there and her feelings were valid too. And I don't know what happened prior to this. So I want to get those answers and I want to say like neither side is like right or wrong. If we're just going from based off of last night's episode, Lindsay girl, like that was not the way to do it. She has since posted an apology. I mean, her apology was a little bit weird because she was like, this was supposed to be a private conversation between me and my girlfriend talking about that conversation with Gabby, but she has it when she's back at the house, when she's filming a reality show. So I don't know about that. I think she's sorry that that's what's got on TV, but we also don't know the full background. So let's wait and see. I'm not making any judgments, but I was highly uncomfortable with her (laughs) questioning his sobriety. Um, And that already is a red flag because someone who's sober cannot, I feel like could not be in a relationship with someone who's going to question their sobriety seemingly unwarranted. That's all I'm going to say about that. Um, The other part I will say of (laughs) this Bravo breakdown is after that, Danielle was on Watch What Happens Live with Andy. And she gave us some really interesting details about her and Joe Bradley's relationship. As we can remember, her and Joe Bradley from Southern Hospitality started dating, I don't know, it seems like right after BravoCon. And it was like hot and heavy. Like you were seeing them together in everything. And then there was like that weird thing. I will admit, I didn't, I watched clips, but I didn't actually watch this um, episode of Watch What Happens Live. But there was like this weird thing between him and Lu. He was on with Luann and Danielle was in the audience and Luann was flirting with him. And I guess like he was flirting back in front of Danielle who was in the audience. And like even Andy was like questioning it and was like really weird about it. And then there was like some questioning at the Southern Hospitality reunion about if Joe had hooked up with Luann, the Countess, which what the fuck? And apparently TJ was saying, I'm 99% sure that he hooked up with Luann. What on earth? Like actually what the fuck? I cannot. I cannot. So all of that happens, right? And all I can think, I'm sorry, but all I can think is like, Joe Bradley is such a derp. Like what the fuck are these people seeing in him? Have you heard him speak? I am going to have no shame about saying this right now. He seems like a dum-dum. Like, the moment that he starts speaking, I'm like, are there brain cells in there? He's just so, like, there's no intelligence there. I don't understand it. He's not even that cute. He's, like, a pretty boy, but he's not even that cute. He's, like, one of these, another one of these fucking Charleston, like, Peter Pans with really not much to seemingly offer. And I'm saying this as someone who's watched every season so far of Southern Hospitality and seen him on Watch What Happens Live and seen him like, and I'm just like, I don't get it. Sorry. I don't get it. 
Anyways, um, so Danielle ends up doubling down. Well, not doubling down, but she ends up giving us some like juicy insight, right? Of what's going on now. So she says on Watch What Happens Live that her and Joe Bradley are no longer together, that this quickly came to a halt after that night where Joe Bradley was on Watch What Happens Live with Luann. And she says that she's, when Andy asked her if she thinks that Joe Bradley hooked up with Luann, the countess, Luann de la Seps, she said that she's 99% sure. Not only because TJ said it, but because that night she saw because Joe Bradley shares his location with her, which by the way, when Danielle said he shares his location with me, Andy put his hand over his mouth and just looked like, oh fuck, like this is bad. What an idiot and what the fuck. So apparently Danielle saw him going to the Upper East Side. She was in the West Village with friends She saw him going to the Upper East Side, which just, that is, for reference, that's where Luann lives. And I guess texted him, I think you're going to make a big mistake. And he didn't message her back. And he told her, he ended up telling her, I guess, that he was like hanging out with friends. But it is believed that that is the night that he slept with Luann. And then... Danielle, Danielle, girl, I love you, but like it is so painful to see the way she acts with men and these like loser men, like that are not even worth her time and energy. So apparently she still lets him stay with her for two days after this and then she dumps him. But like, what a fucking loser. Not Danielle, but like this Joe Badley guy. I don't, I don't get it. Like he doesn't really add anything. I don't understand him. He is not cute. Danielle, move along, girl. And also, Luann, what? Luann is one of those women you do not trust around your man. Like, I wouldn't, you know those women, right? Um, Adriana from from, um, Real Housewives of Miami, remember when she went on Watch What Happens Live and was talking about, like, stealing Marcus? Like, those are women that you're like, they have no shame. They're going to steal your man. They're coming for your man. You don't trust them. All my ladies out there and my gents, like, y'all know what I'm talking about. Y'all know what I'm talking about. You're always one eye, one side eye to that person. That is totally Luann. She's always been like that, which I don't really respect that, but do you, girl? Whatever. So anyways, those are my Bravo breakdowns. I had much more, but... I want to get into the meat of today's episode. Okay, so today's episode is an episode that I really wanted to do for quite some time because, well, not quite some time, but all of this past month, um, specifically for Black History Month. But I clearly didn't get to it because I missed two weeks of recording the podcast last month just with work and my schedule out. But I still wanted to do this episode because – Truly, like, yes, Black History Month is a month and it's a beautiful, like, celebration, but it's not only 
a moment. You know, I wanted to us to like expand our understanding of Black History Month and what it stands for in celebrating Black history and celebrating Black excellence and celebrating and understanding Black stories, right? Um, that we do have a month for that, but that should be truly 365 days a year. So I felt like this episode could be at any time. And I just wanted to, as we're exiting Black History Month, continue this in the next month and just be a reminder of, you know, this not just being a moment. And so today I really wanted to reflect a bit on the Black history and impact and excellence in Bravo. Um, But I thought like the first kind of way of doing that would just be to give my own experience as a black woman, my own black experience, because I think we all have different experiences and that's what makes us as a community just so beautiful um, and really bond, like creates this amazing, like amazingly diverse community within itself um, because we're not a monolith. And I think that Bravo has slowly become a reflection of that, which I love. Um, But that was also something that took me a really long time to discover within myself. So just for background context, on my mom's side, um, I'm of Jamaican descent, Jamaican and Scottish descent. So my grandma was born and raised in Jamaica. Her Her dad was full Jamaican. Her mom was... Scottish, uh, which is anyone who knows kind of like the history of Jamaica knows that that's like very common. Um, When the British came over to Jamaica, they brought the Scottish as their servants. Um, And, you know, listen, (laughs) people get down, right? So um, that's on my mom's side. And my mom's dad, who I actually never met because he um, walked out on my mom. And her mom, my grandma, when she was a teenager, um, he was African-American with a high percentage of Cherokee. So just a little context on that. That's my mom's side. On my dad's side, my family is Mexican. So I've always been mixed, but I consider myself black. (laughs) Like I will a lot of times consider myself Afro-Latina, but – I don't ever just only connect to one of my races or ethnicities. I tr- I truly want to embrace like everything that I am and all of my cultures together because I think that that's so special and connects me to my lineage. Um, but I really never – but growing up, I will say, I didn't really ever feel like I fit in. Um Especially when recognizing, like, my Black ancestry and my connection to that community. Um, I think that it wasn't really, like, I didn't really know a lot of, like, the background of my own family. Again, as I said, like, I didn't know my grandfather um, and my mom a lot of the times 
this she didn't really pass down a lot of the culture and the stories or anything like that. A lot of it was actually a lot of things that my mom taught me or, you know, kind of impressed upon me were things to like distance myself from that part of my cultural background. So for example, I didn't really have a I didn't have any really understanding of how to take care of my hair. My hair is mixed very much so. Um, right now my hair is straightened by a straightening iron. If I get it wet, it is super curly. Um, no one ever taught me how to do my hair. No one ever taught me about protective styles. Like I still am learning about that through my son. Um, and it, like even saying that, I feel like a sense of shame. But it was a lot of that culture like almost hidden from me or tried to um, – be kind of like washed away because I remember my mom, what I do remember is that my mom would always want my hair to be straight. She would want my hair to look white. Uh, she would make me do like Japanese straightening or do some sort of straightening treatment. My hair was being straightened and like con- conditioned and, and, and all these products put in it to get it straight since I was like very young. So it was never like, here's how you take care of your natural hair. It's like I was being told essentially like you need to change your hair and like what this looks like and how you're presenting. I was always kind of like given the – how do I say this? I was always kind of told to like speak a certain way and don't speak in any certain – certain type of slang or who are you hanging out with and it was really hard for me because it's like how do I connect with that side of me how do I connect with that culture how do I connect and understand black culture if I'm being told by like that black side of my family um mainly my mom to distance myself and that was always really hard for me because when I went got into high school, I remember there were groups of people and like I just didn't know where I belonged because I didn't feel black enough. I didn't feel Mexican enough. Like I wasn't white. <laughs> like so even though I had friends from different cultures and backgrounds, I didn't really know where I belonged. And it's not like I'm saying, oh, you only need to hang out with like this type of person, it was really more just like I wanted to feel a sense of community and connection for people who understood like what I was going through. And I never felt like I really got that in high school and I felt so lost. And I remember just feeling like I wanted to be part of like the Black Student Union and like be, you know, be part of that community. And I didn't feel, I mean, to be honest, like even up to like a few years ago, I really struggled to feel like my experience in life added any value to the collective black experience. And I know that might seem like wild, (laughs) but it did. 
it did feel like that. And I think I still like am struggling with understanding not where that comes from, but like how to process that. And I probably need to go to some therapy for that. But it wasn't really until I got into my adult ages and I started to find my community like through work and dance and all these other outlets that I had and like really understand that I am accepted in the black community, even though I am, you know, black and Mexican. Um, And I've really been grateful for so many people around me and like so many friends who have like just embraced me and like made me feel worthy. But I've also just been really grateful to learn so much more of like the diverse introspection of what the black community looks like in the United States and beyond, but really like in our like society. Um, And I've been learning so much about that. And I've been so grateful to have like so many co-workers that I can really like have community with so many friends I can have community with where we can share like understanding of our culture and sometimes I'm just like bummed that it happened when I like that I didn't have this at a younger age and I'm really trying to give that to my son in such a way it's really hard because we live in an area that is not culturally diverse and like there's such a low percentage of actual like black students at my son's school which really annoys the fuck out of me but um I want him to know how to do his hair I want him to understand and be proud that he is black and even though you know he presents white because he is also mixed like this is part of your culture this is part of who you are we're part of like such a deep and rich history And I think that, like, one thing that is so important is that media reflects that as Black people, we're not a monolith, that we are part of such a larger community. And that needs to be reflected in our media. When I grew up, like, that wasn't reflected in media. I rarely saw myself reflected in any sort of media. I had to try to find pieces of myself and pull those out. And so that's why I really wanted to kind of celebrate and share some of the Black experiences on Bravo that really meant something to me. And of course, these are going to feel different for like different people um, because my experience is different than someone else's experience, right? But this is what's so beautiful about the podcast space. This is what's so beautiful about reality TV and Bravo is that we get to listen into each other's experiences and sit and like absorb them and understand them and be empathetic and share. And um, I don't know. That's really the beauty of it for me. So I just wanted to share a few um, my top five experiences um, with – in Bravo that felt just like so reflective to me because it's the first time I'm really like seeing these characters. I mean, they're real people, right? When you think of them as characters um, that are really reflecting like 
something that I feel like I've gone through too. So, okay. The first, the first moment I really want to share is in person really is Bryn from the new iteration of Roni. I remember going into this season, I was wondering, I was like, is Bryn like what? As you know, I hate when people ask me this question, but of course now I'm saying it. I'm like, what is Bryn? I was like, is she black? Like she looks, she looks like she's part black. Like she looks like she's one of us. Um, And I was so touched when she started to share some of her background. And especially there was a moment that I remember that like still stands out in my mind of Bryn going to get her hair done. And she's sharing at that moment, like in her confessionals, how being at the salon, getting her hair done, that was like such a special place for her, which truly like in the black community, it is that. It's like being at the salon, being at the barbers. Like for my son, it's like I love to see him go and be at the barbers, like be there and and have that sense of community there or get his hair done and like really be able to like have that sense of community when he's getting his hair styled. So as she's talking about her, she's getting her hair styled and like she's talking about how her grandmother, I think, was white and like didn't know how to do her hair. And I think this is such a really like true experience because it reminded me of growing up and like, I mean, I talked to you about like how my mom didn't teach me how to do my hair. But when I'd be with my dad, when my parents were divorced, when I'd be with my dad, like my hair was such a wild mess because like my dad had no idea how to do my hair. Even to this day, like my son always talks about like, he calls my dad Papa and he's like, I'm, my son is still traumatized from the one time that my dad went to go take him to get his hair cut. And I think, I forget what was happening. I was working or something. And I was like, Caleb really needs to get his hair cut, blah, blah, blah. And my dad, it's so like, bless his heart, right? He doesn't like, even though he married a black woman, like it's really hard to grasp the concept of like different hair, (laughs) like in different, you know, understanding of like care for your hair. And, um, so my dad took my son to Supercuts. When I tell you, I remember when I saw my child at that time. I think, I don't know how old he was. He had to be like five or six or something. But like, I was just like, what is, what happened to his hair? And my son still talks about that. He's like, I will never let Papa ever take me to go get my hair cut. Like, no, he doesn't know. Like my dad didn't know. My dad doesn't know. He still doesn't. My my son got um, two strand twists recently. And like the comments that my dad was making was like, oh, those are really cool, like braids, right? Like that's, yeah, that's really neat and cool. Like, you know, my dad doesn't know. <laughs> like, but that's the thing, right? Like, especially as we see like so many like blended families, mixed, mixed race families. Yeah, like it's really, it's really hard because so it's if you come from a different background, you don't know what it is to like go get your hair done or like what a protective style is. 
Um, so I thought it was really beautiful in that moment, kind of Bryn really explaining like that her grandma didn't know that. So she sent her to the salon and that was like when Bryn started to feel that connection, I feel like to that side of her and I could totally relate to her, um, in so many aspects in that. I, I feel like when I got into journalism, um, that's where I found like a huge community, a huge like black community that I surrounded myself in and like were like sisters to me and we were fighting for the same cause in like such a – in the same effort in like journalism and our writing and the stories we told um, and understanding the stories that needed to be told um, that not everyone understood. And it – Bryn was really telling in that moment of how she connected to that side of her. And I thought that was just really beautiful and I felt so connected to her. And I think that's why Bryn will like probably forever be like one of my favorite housewives. Um, But um, that is like my number one moment. Uh, Number two. Okay. This is really in the same vein. So I don't know if y'all are watching. If you're not, you need to. Just first of all, I celebrate and applaud Bravo for – well, I don't want to say applaud them because it as it should be, right? Like I'm just so happy that a show like Summer House Martha's Vineyard is on Bravo and is starting to get so much traction that there's a season two and I want it to just continue. So if you haven't watched Summer House Martha's Vineyard, go on Peacock, like go watch that shit, go on YouTube, like go watch it. It's so good. It's so amazing. I know it's so hard like – when there's a show that people already like, like Summer House, and then they do a spinoff, it's sometimes like, "Mm, how's that going to be? But I had no idea about – I mean, I knew Martha's Vineyard. I didn't really know much about Martha's Vineyard. I didn't know the history of Martha's Vineyard. I didn't know it was such a, like, vacation spot for, like – the black community. I just like, now I want to go. I fucking want to go out to Martha's Vineyard so badly. It's like now on the top of my list. Um, but I loved learning the history about it. And I loved the cast. The cast was just so, it was just such a mix of different experiences, different life experiences, different thoughts, (laughs) thought processes. Um, but I think one of the, one of the moments that stuck out for me was with Amir. And yes, like Amir was giving kind of like fuckboy energy a little bit, but he's such like I can tell a mama's boy sensitive guy like a mile away. And I could definitely feel that from him. And I always have, I think, a place in my heart for for guys like that. Um because I'm raising a guy like that. <laughs> um, but there was a moment that Amir, I think, was just so raw and open and honest and vulnerable. And he, like, broke down. And I haven't watched – I mean, it was a while since the last season came out. So, like, I didn't get to rewatch the episode. Um, but I want to actually rewatch the entire season before the new season comes on in just, like, a couple weeks, I think. I think it's the night, March 19th that it comes out. Um, but – He's le- he's black and Lebanese, and he talks about feeling really like 
struggling his in his life to feel connected to his black side and really understanding his history and um a sense of community and finding a sense of community and I think that he was crying because it was like this first this was the first time he felt like in this group of friends like he felt that sense of community and again like going back to the Bryn thing and like what I was talking about earlier I I totally understood that being raised by a side of you that like doesn't necessarily understand that I'm sure like the Lebanese community understands that in their own way in their own community right like in their own history but really trying to connect with that deep black history and like finding his like true community this we were seeing that as the first time he was doing that and I just felt like it touched my heart so much and it was again like I was talking about like where I started to find that in different places um in my adult life I totally saw that in him and like just feeling grateful for that um and I'm excited to see more of that with him in this upcoming season And I really hope they explore that a little bit more because I know that he was expressing frustration that he didn't feel connected to his black side like for a very long time. So I do want to see like – I love seeing how these shows not only represent this cult – like a culture, especially like the black culture, but bring a community together and like help teach others within their own culture. And I think that that's the beauty of community, right? Like going back to community. That is, that's what I think the beauty of the show is too. So, so excited to see that show come back. Um, I'm going to rewatch it and maybe come with more thoughts before, like maybe some pre-thoughts before the new season comes out because I'm so excited. Um, y'all, if my energy starts to feel low, I'm so sorry. Like I'm definitely, as I speak, getting a sinus infection and my head is pounding. So we're going to get through these next ones. (laughs) Okay. And yes, I'm prone to sinus infections and I should have known as it was raining and my allergies just skyrocketed. Okay. My third Okay, my third one is not a moment. It's just a show. And it's not just a show. It is the show. And that's Married to Medicine. And also, let's not forget Married to Medicine LA. I really want Bravo to bring back Married to Medicine LA. Do we not remember this? I think they could find like a better cast. But like, I want Married to Medicine to branch out to so many different cities. Because yes, it's in Atlanta. We know there's like a huge like black community in in Atlanta and I love that. But I want us to find these like doctors and medical professionals in several different areas of the United States because they're there. Let's go find those communities. Let's go find those friend groups and like bring them out. I really am pushing for married to medicine in so many different areas. But first of all, bring it back to L.A bring it back. Bring it bring it to New York. I think what's so beautiful about Married to Medicine is not just that you have this amazing group of like bad ass like true babs 
badass black women like in healthcare. It's so amazing and so beautiful and so powerful because as we know and other unless you're like under a rock like and this goes back to the days of slavery that women especially black women in healthcare in the healthcare system we are not treated equally as we're not treated equally anywhere else but like truly the healthcare system is not is not built for black women to get fair equitable and safe resources um and it hasn't been for a while and i i started learning that in like my work that i do just personally i learned that as when i got pregnant um about the mortality mortality rate for black women who are pregnant um as i started to see myself and my other black friends um who were going through pregnancies who were going through healthcare scares and how they would be treated by medical professionals um and not really validated in their feeling and understanding of what was going on with their body. And I think what's so beautiful about Married to Medicine is they bring these issues in healthcare out to the forefront in such an like concise way that is rooted in history and education so it's not just a show that's there for like fun and excitement and watching this like community of like badass women because that is a huge part of it. It's also teaching viewers about things that we don't learn in history books, about things that are so important to know as we – not only for like black women to know how to advocate for themselves, but for everyone around us to know how to advocate for that equitable healthcare out there. And I want to see even more of a push for that. And I would love to like, you know, I know that like, um, and now I'm getting like more on like my advocate side, but I would love to see like a campaign somewhere come out of, come out of the woodworks when it comes to like advocating for safer and more equitable healthcare. Um, And that could be like in partnership with like married to medicine especially if they have married to medicine in so many different cities like that's what I'm saying but I've learned so 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 much from that show because as you see confessionals you'll see like Dr. Jackie Simone coming out and really talking about like all of these things within like fertility and healthcare and even um heavenly talking about like in the dentistry world, like what that means for black women and men um, in the healthcare space. So I feel like I've learned so much from that show and I think it's just such a special show. If y'all haven't watched Married to Medicine, I want to say there's like 11 seasons now or something, 10 or 11. Um, I loved this last season, but y'all like how are they going to have a whole show talking about twat, quad, but like quad is barely there. I can't. 
And I get it. The quad is problematic sometimes, but like, aren't we all? So I I do have like a soft spot for quad, but I've loved the show since it first came on. I grew up with um, my mom is a doctor and I think it's not just the representation of black doctors that I love about the show um, and dentists and, and healthcare workers. But it's that educational portion that I think, like, I would love that to be highlighted even more. Like, I would love to see, like, a carousel on Instagram or something where it just, like, breaks down some of, like, the most, like, impactful um, educational points of the show. Maybe I'll do that, y'all. Maybe I'll rewatch from the beginning of Married to Medicine, which, listen, that is a big feat, and, like, pull out some of these, like – facts, like fast facts. I don't know, y'all, but I, I maybe I'll do that. Let me know if I should do that. Um, but I love – I just absolutely love that show and I think it's it's just everything. And also like that show serves every season. I have do not remember one season that I didn't love or that I felt like was a dud. So, okay. That's – that was number three. Number four is – this always touched me – was Sierra and Maya's discussion with the Summer House group. Um, a few, was it last season? I can't remember because I don't even remember what day it is today. But there was a conversation and it was it was in Maya's first season, I believe, where Maya was struggling to kind of like – find her way in the group and rightfully so because I had always wondered too like how Sierra did this um because she was like the first black person that was brought onto Summer House um but you could tell Maya felt like really uncomfortable and struggling to try to figure out like her way in that group and I think that she was seeing some like small microaggressions like with um I forget who it was. I don't know if it was Carl or someone kept calling her by the wrong name. And she's like, you don't even care about like what my name is. Oh, it was Andrea. It was Andrea. And it was such an uncomfortable season to watch. And that's why it needed to be watched because you were seeing these little things where she was like, I don't know if I fit in. And when I tell you, I have been in her exact position where I'm like, I'm the only black person or person of color in a room or a group of friends. And some of the things that are being said or like some of the little jokes, like they just don't, they hit different. They hit different and they feel, or you just feel a sense of like exclusion because you're trying to figure out like, how do I fit into this group? dynamic when there's so many things that like I feel misunderstood about or like I don't know if we're in the same place or we're really connecting on the same level and a lot of that is a level set of like communication and conversation um and I I would I would venture to say that this happens every day with groups of like I mean we all we live in such a diverse world right we all have hopefully friends of different races and ethnicities and we all also live in our own little bubbles so it can be so easy to 
be exclusionary without meaning to be that. And I think sometimes that is just like a conversation. And a lot of times it is difficult conversations. And I just thought it was really powerful. Number one, how Maya felt so comfortable going to Sierra and like telling her this, right? Another, the other black woman in the house and saying like, here's how I'm feeling. And like, I, I don't know how to express this and I don't know where to go and what to do. And she had that safe space in Sierra. I'm mentioning that because what pissed me off this last week in the Real Housewives of Beverly Hills reunion was fucking Anna Marie. Well, by the way, I don't even like, I cannot stand Anna Marie. I cannot stand her. I can't stand her at all. And like who hurt her for her to be acting the way she acts. But here was my major issue. Real Housewives of Beverly Hills has been all white for a very long time. That in the OC is just like, you know, they brought Garcelle on. That was such a beautiful point. And Garcelle is someone who's willing to have these like really difficult conversations. And she's not just coming in just to fit in. Anna Marie, on the other hand, is coming in and she's coming in, you can already tell, just to fit in. Because the way that she is like really trying to like connect only with these white women and is really going against any of like the two women of color that are on the show, which is Garcelle and Crystal, is really fucking weird to me. And it's out of nowhere. Like if it was valid, I would understand it. But the problem that I had this week was Garcelle was expressing the microaggressions that Dorit continuously like seems to pull out of her back pocket when she says, I don't even know. Like she's got a ton of them in her back pocket. Um, (laughs) But Garcelle was bringing out some very valid points. And I know what all these like fucking trolls out there are saying is like, Garcelle, she's just so like, get over it, get over it. This is her black experience. This is actually something that's real. Like, no, it doesn't need to be a 24-7 discussion. But yes, it needs to be brought up because this is really uncomfortable. And Dorit has been, I mean, was Dorit under a rock from 2020 until now where there has been so much education and fucking handholding from black people to white people to help them understand these things and not be defensive and really like learn and educate and empathize. And Dorit just like doesn't seem to want to, she doesn't want to understand this because otherwise she would have understood it by now, but she lives in a bubble. And the weirdest thing was as Garcelle is trying to bring this point up, Anna Marie chimes in not to go to her friend Dorit and say, hey, like I too, also as a black woman, even though if maybe I didn't feel this in the moment because I'm not Garcelle and I'm not feeling her same feelings and experiences, like here's what she's trying to say. And like, yeah, you know, she doesn't need to fight against Dorit, but she can be as her friend, like a voice if she's going to chime in. Otherwise she doesn't have to chime in. Garcelle doesn't need anyone to fight her fights for her. But when she does decide to chime in is to go against the only black person on that couch and not just that, go against her 
with like something that just doesn't even make sense. She's like, well, then why didn't you stand up for me? It's almost like she was saying, if you really care about like microaggressions and like protecting black women, then why didn't you stand up for me when Sutton said that I was yelling? It's truly not the same thing. And now what you're trying to do is invalidate the other black woman on this couch. If you wanted to bring that up later, totally fine. You cut Garcelle off to make this point, which actually then tries to make Dorit look better and validate her. And it was just really disgusting to me. And that is not how we create community. That's how we isolate ourselves. Like, And so much of society has – because society doesn't really – we've talked about this so much. Like this is how consumerism works. This is what – we didn't want us to join forces to like understand one another, to create um, systems and, you know, that work toward our greater good because then we don't really have to buy things to make us ourselves feel better, you know? It, it really fucks up the consumerism of, of it all. And it's just the truth of it. But – like, the society has been pitting black people against one another in so many ways. Um, we've seen this within colorism. We've seen this in, I mean, just go look at some of these comments, honestly. Um, but it just felt like Anna Marie was perpetuating that in this moment and it did not feel good. And then I juxtaposed that with this moment, even though it was like a couple seasons ago, with Sierra and Maya coming together and Maya being able to come to Sierra and saying like, because Sierra has like such a great relationship with all these people. And Maya wasn't saying like, please be mad at them for me. She was just like, how do I navigate with these people that I'm not comfortable with? And they were able to sit down and have such a beautiful conversation with the rest of the house. And I just thought it was such a beautiful moment because the rest of the house sat and they listened and they tried to understand and they asked questions and there was a conversation had. And I think that that was beautiful and such a like turning point moment in that show. And um, I'm just excited this year, especially like having Gabby too. I know that there was, and I was like a little bit like iffy about Gabby last year too. Cause I was like, mm, she's giving like bougie, but I'm like, I kind of love it. And it just seems already, it's only two episodes in, but it seems like Gabby's like in the fold. I think probably a lot of her connection to Lindsay for a while was the reason that there was that kind of tension and distance between her and Sierra and Maya and the other girls, but it feels like they're kind of all together this year. So I'm excited to see that. And I'm just so excited to see more diversity on Summer House and just the dynamics of those relationships. So um grateful for that. And okay, the final, the final moment in time, which is like several moments in time, is from Potomac. And I think that this is a discussion that, like, I feel very connected to. I also think that it all hasn't always happened the right way on Potomac. And I want to see that change. I'm going to see a lot of things change on Potomac because this season was a hot dumpster fire. Um, let's just 
say, let's say it like it is, hot dumpster fire. That's how I feel. Um, but the discussion, colorism has been something that has come up so many times, whether it was implicit or explicit on the Real Housewives of Potomac. And I think that this is a discussion that's so important because even for me, like I had the to take the time to understand colorism in my early to mid-20s. I kind of subconsciously knew what it was, but I didn't want to say it because it felt uncomfortable and didn't feel good and it felt weird, right? But the reality is that like I know – Truly, as a mixed woman, like, I'm black, but I have lighter skin. I'm mixed with Mexican and Scottish. Like, I get it. I talk differently. People think that I'm a valley girl. I've never lived in the valley ever. (laughs) This is just how I talk. It's just maybe my California accent. I don't know. I've known what it has been like to see people treat me differently than my darker colleagues, than my darker friends, than my darker family. I've seen that. I've seen it in real time. And for a long time, I was blind to it because it was easier. It was easier to be blind to it. But I have to accept that I do have my own sense of privilege for the way that I appear right? Because no one really knows what I am. Like they, I've always gotten the question when I used to bartend so many times, it was always the question, what are you? Like people wanted to know what ethnicity I was because they could not fucking figure it out. And if they couldn't figure it out, like that was more palatable than like maybe like a darker black woman. And when I really fully understand stood colorism for the first time, it was the most uncomfortable thing because I felt guilt and shame for being who I was and looking like how I look. And what I realized is like, I just need to be able to like empathize and understand and listen to others' experiences that have a different experience than I do. And that's the importance of this community. And that's the importance of understanding that like the black community is not a monolith. Um, And, this is a conversation that's had a lot on Potomac. I don't yet feel like it's been had fully in the right way. I know that um, I had done a rewatch of Potomac like a while back ago. And just from the first season, there's like a whole conversation for it's, it always felt very difficult. So this is maybe not the most positive connection that I've had, but it's a connection that I've had because I've understood this experience. Because in the beginning of that show, there's such a um, focus on like you're not black enough or you're not really black. And I that first came toward Robin, right? Because Robin presents as like white. She's lighter skin. Like it is just what it is. And I remember that was a conversation with her and it was a convert and, but it was so interesting because there are a lot of women on that cast, well, especially earlier days that present, that had lighter skin, right? Giselle, Robin. I remember Giselle was in that conversation and I was like, Giselle, like, where are you? This is kind of pot kettle. Like, 
where is this going? Like why, why make someone feel less than or different, right? Either way, going either way. Um, I remember like Karen was part of that conversation, but Karen also presents as lighter. So that it was really like felt really yucky in the beginning to see some of those conversations go down because it was like, I know, I think Katie was part of this where it's like, you're not, you're like not even black. And it just like, it just felt really weird because either way you go at it, like your racial and ethnic and like cultural background is what it is. And like I said earlier, like connecting to all of those parts of you are so important. So when it feels like someone's taken that away from you, it's understandable, but it's also understandable. I'm sure. And I'm can't speak from someone who has darker skin because that is not my reality, but it is also understandable to be, have an experience where you aren't afforded the same things as someone who is from the same culture and community essentially, but is treated differently than you. And so I see both sides of that, but I don't think that there's been an effective conversation on that show that moves moves the conversation forward and has like actionable like understanding and solutions of how to move through these conversations because what I was really 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 um disappointed in I guess I would say is when last season when Candace and I understand listen I understand when Candace gets frustrated I think under that Candace gets really frustrated, understandably so, and really upset and really emotional about her, the experiences she's had. And I think when she gets under those feeling into those feelings, she lets them take over. And then her words, which have always been her defense mechanism and have had to be a very sharpened sword, come at people. So when she came at Giselle last season in the reunion saying like your white ass looking like blah 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 came up here and accused my husband it I will say like it triggered me because I was like that's not fair that's not fair but as I stand and I will say and not but and as I stand back and look at it I don't know every experience she's had where she's felt like this person was able to get away with something and like put me in a bad position because of how they look because I was not understood the same way they were understood because I wasn't afforded the same um, privileges or, or understanding or empathy as this person. And clearly like what she was trying to say in that moment is like the way that you look, you feel like you can say these things and people will believe you and there's danger in that. And I think that the way she said it was not said the right way. So it just cut off that colorism conversation because people felt defensive in that moment. And I would love for, I don't think that Andy is the one to like bring up that conversation. I know that he was sitting there kind of like moderating it and he did say like, I want you guys to moderate this, but like, they needed a full moderator. That is not a moderator to have one of them who's so in it and in the conversation 
be in that moderation space. I think that they needed to bring someone else in and there should be people on the Bravo like staff that people that we know as almost an Andy Cohen um, that's black and that like has that point of view and that can lead these parts of the reunion that need to be had because we can't leave out these conversations just because a white man is leading the reunion. And y'all know how much I love Andy. I'm just saying like I would beg to differ that hopefully Andy would feel the same. So I would love to see that in the future. Um, I think there is such an important conversation to continue to be had because just having one conversation is not going to cut it. And I think that this conversation is underlying constantly, especially on Potomac. Um, And I would love that platform to be used to like really push a beautiful conversation and um, and sense of understanding and like really like deep reflection, but I think it needs to be done in a way that it hasn't been done yet. And I don't know the answer to that, but it is something that feels like very close to my heart and a conversation I feel like needs to continue to be had. But first we need to move through like this shitty season probably because <laughs> what the fuck. Um, but those are my really true like Im- favorite impactful I guess a black history of Bravo moments for me that I feel, I feel a connection to. Again, like this is all coming from like my perspective, who I am as a black woman and my experiences, which are so different from others. And I love to hear other people's experiences, which is why I absolutely love to see the reflection of so many different cultures that would follow, fall under like the bigger like I guess label of black culture in the United States and in Bravo I mean I think it's so beautiful that we have the Real Housewives of Atlanta and Potomac and Married to Medicine all these really spaces where you see like black culture at its best and then you also see like these cultures mixing into other cultures like throughout the different reality like um housewife shows and summer house and things like that but I do think that like I love how they've been bringing in such like varied experiences. You have like the Haitian experience, you have the Jamaican experience, you have the Kenyan experience. And I want to know more, like, especially like with Kiki and um, Chanel Ayon, I know like, oh my gosh, her experience and her sharing that on Dubai. I'm so excited for them to be back. Like, I want to know more about these experiences because I think these shows and integrating these women into these shows, like really allows us as viewers to understand experiences and different cultures better. And we can only do that when we see like those things are not put on, like don't fall on the cutting room floor, right? Like um, we're, we can make sure to put those stories in and not only the drama, right? Because I think that that's so important. Um and I, I have really loved the Jamaican representation. Let me say, like, it has felt like home to hear, like, Sonia Richards' parents talking to her. Just, like, it made me, like, just miss my grandma who lives in Florida. And I'm like, oh, that's like my grandma and, like, being going back to Jamaica. And um, that's why I want them to bring back Married to Medicine LA. There, there was two, like, Jamaican women on that show. Um, and, of course, Lisa Milan. But – I just love that Bravo's not pro- approaching 
black culture as a monolith, which they could, and several different stations and shows have done that, um, still in this day and age, in this day and age. Um, but I, I really, really love that about Bravo. And I think, are they perfect? No. Do they have so much more they need to do? Yes. Especially when it comes to like how other women are interacting with black women and black people and like microaggressions and there needs to be more (laughs) understanding and more representation of the people who are moderating these conversations. Um, But in that vein, I will say like, this is why I do love to listen to and follow other Bravo, black Bravo content creators. And so I just want to shout out some of my favorites that I listen to on a regular. And I invite you all to on Instagram, on TikTok, email me um, with some of your favorite content creators. But I'd like to just give a shout out to some of my favorite black Bravo content creators. First of all, the Smith sisters live that's on Sirius XM radio. Andy, I listen to them religiously. I love them so much. I love that. They just have like such deep knowledge of Bravo because they were on watch what worked on watch what happens live. And they just dive into even more than Bravo. And I love to hear their dynamic as sisters and it's especially as someone who's an only child. So I love to hear, I love hearing experiences that are not my own to really try to like understand the world a lot more. Um, so shout out, shout out sisters. <laughs> hey sisters. Smith Sisters Live, Sirius XM. Um, Bravo, we're black. Love, love, love that podcast. I just love all their commentary on social media fucking love them. If you have not listened to Bravo, We're Black, start now. Go listen, follow, subscribe, rate, review, all that good shit. Kiki Monique, of course, of The Talk of Shame and who hosts sometimes Reality Checked and Pop Crime. Um, I love her. I think we all love Kiki Monique. She is just so amazing. She was doing, um, for Black History Much, she, she was doing um, impactful, like black moments in black history and pop culture, um, which I really loved. And I thought was really amazing. So if you haven't follow Kiki Monique, she's always got good Bravo commentary always. Um, let's see the Kempire, of course, the Kempire, he cracks me the fuck up. I love his, I love his, um, I just love his commentary and how like succinct it is and just on point. So the Kempire and then most recently I've been getting into um, Who Asked Me. I love her. Like and I like how she is not afraid to just like give a totally different opinion from like what everyone else has and like explain it and just stand on it. She's just – she's such a queen um, she, she has, she's been talking about like the Lindsay situation and has been actually talking about something that I've thought about a lot recently too, which is like, there's just so much Bravo used to be like, yeah, drama, but also lightheartedness. And it feels like a lot of the lightheartedness is kind of like not there right now. So like, can we get that balance back? Because it's draining. Um, but definitely follow and listen to who asked me. And Bitch is Better. That's one that I just started listening to um, because 
she was on a episode, an episode uh, with Who Asked Me and loved her commentary too and just started listening to that podcast. So those are some to follow, y'all. I will post these on our Instagram. Don't forget to follow us. Us, me. Don't forget to follow Bravo Therapy at Bravo Therapy Pod on Instagram. Um, just Bravo Therapy on TikTok or email me low at bravotherapypod.com. Y'all, what an amazing episode. I know I rambled on. I know I'm not doing a Bravo, Bravo, fucking Bravo or or a rotten hell today because, well, okay, fine. I will. I will. I'm dying right now, y'all. Like my sinus infection is truly kicking in right now and I'm feeling it so hardcore. I'm about to go pass out after this. Um, But okay, let's do this. Let's do this. My Bravo, Bravo, fucking Bravo of the week is Crystal and Garcelle eating these women up in the first part of the Real Housewives of Beverly Hills reunion. The, the I lo- they're just like tag teaming and they don't even need to tag each other in. They're just coming from the same space and they both stand on business and know what they're talking about and know their experiences and will not back down. And they're just both two badass women. And I'm just grateful for having them both on this cast and can't wait to see them both eat fucking Dorit up even more next week because, wow, why are we even having Dorit on the show? Like, what is she adding? Um, She could be, well, you know what? Dorit along with, well, okay, here, I'm going to add to the Bravo, Bravo, fucking Bravo, Kiki. Kiki is doing the same thing on the couch of the Real Housewives of Miami reunion that Garcelle and Crystal are doing. And that's Kiki and uh, Garcelle or um, Gertie are. They are just ripping these women to pieces and like holding them fucking accountable. But especially Kiki, like I'm just, I want to know, give Kiki a fucking mojito. Can we kick Lisa off and give Kiki a mojito? If I have to hear about Lenny one more time and hear Lisa be the victim of everything, Lisa and Larsa, when we go, okay, so here are my rotten hails. Dorit, Lisa, Larsa. Please get them off my fucking screen. I cannot deal with them. The way that these women refuse to take any fucking accountability, double down with defensiveness when they are being held to the fire for their actions and their words, and are just so condescending and disgusting and like live in a fucking alternate universe, you will not be disrespecting my queens out there, Garcelle, Crystal, nor Kiki, nor Gertie, take several steps back and get the fuck out of here. Y'all, I cannot, like, I can't even stomach any of these women. I cannot stomach any of those three women. So, sorry, raw and hail. <laughs> sorry, not sorry. Okay, y'all, I somehow was able to talk for almost two hours just by myself. So, if you're still here, love you. If you're not, well, you can't hear this, so it doesn't matter. But Babs, I love you so much. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget that episodes are now going to be released on Tuesdays and we'll have our next one coming up with the real Pisces of 
Bravo. I can't wait for you to hear it, y'all. Love you so much. Bye.